going to continue where we left off in Sefer Shemuel, uh, which is in Perik Bet of Shemuel Aleph, we were at Pasuk Yud Aleph, the Pasuk verse number 11, which is right after the Tfilat Chana, the famous Tfilat Chana, the concluding Tfilat Chana, where she expresses uh, her reflection on the transformation that she underwent as a result of her original tefillah. In other words, she prayed and she was answered and that was a revolutionary uh, experience in her life. And she reflected on the general idea that God's plan uh, transcends everything. So we are up to Yud Aleph. So as according to plan, Elkanah returned to his home and the young boy, whom, whom we know as Shmuel, remained with Eli, uh, be, remained, continued serving Hashem before Elia Kohen. Elia Kohen would become his mentor. Now, here's the interesting thing. Elia Kohen is a very difficult character to fully uh, pin down, to really understand what is, what is it about Elia Kohen? How are we supposed to relate to or perceive Elia Kohen? He's, he's really presented to us uh, in many different ways, from various different angles throughout the story, beginning from his initial interaction with Chana, and now we see that he becomes the mentor of Shmuel, and yet his own children are uh, very far from the mark of what we would expect of religious leaders, and especially if Elia Kohen is going to be the mentor of Shmuel, and yet he wasn't successful in training his own children and instilling in them the proper values, so he becomes a little bit of a complicated character, as we're going to see in the upcoming uh, discussion. But the interesting uh, style here, really, stylistically, structurally, the way that the Navi presents the ascension, the rise of Shmuel, and contrasts it with the decline of the sons of Eli, is in a very artful and very insightful manner. After it mentioned the, um, that Shmuel is now serving God, it says that the sons of Eli were B'nai Bilia'al. The rabbis always say that Bilia'al means from the word Bli'ol. They did not have a yoke. They didn't have discipline or respect for higher authority. They were bad people. Lo Hashem. They didn't know Hashem. Now we see already, first of all, when Chana was talking to Eli initially, when she was praying and Eli assumed that she was drunk, he sa- she said to him, don't think that I'm Bat Bilia'al that I'm one of these low-life people. Now we're telling us, the text is telling us that that's exactly the type of person that Eli's own sons were. It said that, uh, that Shmuel was Misharet et Hashem. He is serving God. And it says about the Bnei Eli, Lo et Hashem. They didn't have an understanding of God, which is a way that the Tanakh uses that phrase to express the idea that they didn't have the right values. They didn't have the right understanding of God such that they would live properly because real understanding of God should change the way a person conducts himself. Now, what was the law of the Kohanim with respect to the people? When a person would come to sacrifice to God, so the servant of the Kohen would come, while they were cooking the meat, he would come with a pitchfork that had three, um, three teeth on it. And he would knock against whatever it was they were cooking in. These are different kinds of implements of cooking. Different, uh, you know, whether it was the pan, the pot, so on and so forth, whatever it was. The rule was, Whatever the fork grabs, when I stick it in, 
That's what I'm going to take. Yikacha kohen bo. Right? That's what the kohen's going to take. Kacha yasu lechol yisrael abayim sham beshilo. So what is the first thing that we see here? And again, we're trying to contrast. What the Navi is doing is contrasting. It says that, that Shmuel was serving Hashem. And he wasn't a ben bilial. And his mother wasn't a bat bilial. The, bnei, the, Elia, the, the sons of Eli are Bnei Bilial, which means that they are lacking in their reverence for God. Lo Hashem, they don't know God, which means they don't have the proper perspective on reality, the proper perspective, perspective on Hashem that would affect their character and their behavior. And what do they do? The first thing is that they grab as much meat as they can in the pitchfork. That's not a, uh, that's not a halachic, that's not a mishpat, that's not a proper procedure that whatever I can grab with my pitchfork is what I get to take. It should be something more orderly, more proper, a proportion, or really it should be what it should actually be is the owner of the korban is supposed to give a portion of it to the kohen. Instead, they're coming and grabbing it. Gam beterem yaktiwun etachelev, uva nawa kohen, vamar laisha zoveach, Sometimes they would come, obviously this didn't always happen the same way in every time, because it's saying sometimes they would come when the food was already, be, the meat was already being cooked. Other times they would come before the fat of the korban had even been cooked, meaning before the korban was completely sacrificed, and they would demand the meat even when it was still raw, and say, give me the meat for the kohen. Wait until I offer the fats of the korban, the fats of the sacrifice to Hashem first. Then take what you want. You better give it to me right now or I'm going to take it by force. In other words, they were running it mob style. They were running it mafia style. It was all about the material benefit of the coin. And this is what we mentioned in the uh, first chapter when we began the study of the book of Shemuel, that that the B'nai Eli had turned what was supposed to really be an experience that brought people closer to Hashem and enabled them to rise above the material and rise above the sensory and rise above the pleasures of this world. Instead, they made it basically into a transactional thing. You come to bring a korban and I get the meat. So you are giving something, in other words, you're satisfying your religious obligation and I'm making money out of it or I'm getting the meat out of it. I'm satisfying my lust for food from the, uh, from the, uh, from the korban. In other words, that's the, uh, that's the way that people perceived the korbanot in the times of the Bnei Eli because that's what they were taught. Oh, you go, you have to, you have to fulfill this obligation and uh, on the other side of these corrupt people, they take the meat, but whatever, that's what we have to do. And the sin of the Na'rim of these young men was very great in, before the presence of God. Because they were disgracing the offering of God. Why? Because the whole point of the offering of God is for a person to recognize that God is the ultimate and to rise above the material and to rise above the selfish, to rise above the physical, the pleasures, and all of that. And what are the Kohanim showing? These people are supposedly the representatives of God, especially the, the ones who are facilitating the Korbanot and religious leaders. What do they care about? The meat. They just want the meat. It's like the way that the ultimate Chilul Hashem, as I always talk about, what is a Chilul Hashem? A Chilul Hashem is when a person who allegedly, who supposedly believes in God, who is ostensibly religious, shows through their action that they really think 
that the material things are more important than the spiritual things, that they're really a hypocrite. That's the ultimate chilul Hashem. Because people who are irreligious will say, ah, even the religious people don't really mean it. They don't really think that knowledge of God is the highest value. They don't really think that the spiritual is more important than the physical. And what's the proof? At the end of the day, they're crooks, they're corrupt, they're out for themselves, they steal, they cheat, they care about the same stuff as everyone else. They pretend that they're on some higher level, but it's not really true. And that shows that there really isn't any higher level. There really isn't any higher form of existence that a person can aspire to. Ultimately, we are all just animalistic. And the religious people pretend to be something more than that, but it isn't true. It's false. It's fake. That's what a chilul Hashem is. Whenever we, we contribute, whenever we validate that perspective that there is nothing higher, that even the religious person doesn't really have any value greater than anybody else, doesn't really believe in what they preach, doesn't really live by it, really only cares about the material things and the physical things too, even as they pretend that there's something higher that makes them tick. That is a chilul Hashem. It drags God down. It is a, an affront to God. And that's what they were doing. Ushmuel misharet et pnei Hashem. Whereas Shmuel was serving God, he was a young man wearing a fodbat. He was wearing a special kind of a uh, a coat, a white coat that indicated that he had a special role in the Beit Hamikdash. He was a Levi and not a Kohen, so he wasn't involved in any of this korbanot stuff. But the point was that he was truly, sincerely seeking a knowledge of God and seeking to walk in the way of God. Not like the Bnei Eli who were disgracing and desecrating the name of God through making what was supposed to be a spiritual exercise into a means for their own enrichment. His mother would make him a new garment continually. She would bring it up. Each year she would bring him a new coat. Whenever they would come up for their yearly korbanot, um, even though really the pilgrimage is supposed to be three times a year, but I guess maybe she only came once one of those times, whatever it is. When she would come, she would bring him a new outfit to update the old because um, clearly, uh, you know, he would outgrow it. And it says, Elia Kohen blessed Elkanah, the father of Shmuel, and his wife, Hannah. May God give you seed from this woman. In place of the gift that you gave Hashem, the lending out of your son that you gave to Hashem. And then they would go home. And uh, In fact, Chana ended up having three more sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, Shmuel was growing up with Hashem. He was growing up and instead of being influenced by the corruption of the Bnei Eli, he was really absorbing the true message of the Beit HaMikdash and the true message of Torah. But what you see from here is that Chana wasn't actually infertile. This is what I mentioned in the first Perak, when we learned the first chapter or the first installment of the series, that Chana obviously naturally could have children. Because as soon as that she as soon as she prayed for the child that would become Shmuel, she was then able, Hashem then granted her five more children. In other words, if she had just naturally had children to begin with, there never would have been a Shmuel. There was only a Shmuel because she had to go through the heart-wrenching process of thinking about why she was barren and what the meaning of it was and what she could do to change it and then prepare herself to make this ultimate sacrifice of giving the child up to serve God. Only then, if she hadn't gone through that heart-wrenching process, there wouldn't have been a Shmuel. Jewish history would have been totally different. 
But because she went through it, she was able to bring about Shmuel. Once Shmuel came into the world, now she could have as many children as she wanted for herself. Because there wasn't a need anymore to bring out of her this higher understanding of the significance of having children and the impact they could make and the significance of the withholding of children. She didn't have to go through that anymore. Now, it says that meanwhile, Shmuel is growing up with Hashem. And Eli was very old. He heard what his children were doing, his sons who were bad guys, what they were doing to the Jewish people. And they were lying down with the women who were standing at the door of the tent of meeting, at the door of the Mishkan, which was then located in Shiloh. Now, interestingly, the Chazal, the rabbis say that this wasn't actually true. They didn't really sleep with the women who were coming. They didn't get involved. Now, according to the Pshat, the simple meaning, it sounds like they were not only involved in liking meat, but they also liked other pleasures of the flesh, so to speak. And therefore, they were also taking advantage of their position for sexual impropriety. However, the rabbis say that no, kol haomer b'nei eli eno ela to'eh. The rabbis say that it's a mistake to think that literally they actually slept with these women. What they actually did was, according to the Chazal, was they wanted the best meat. And most women who were coming were coming bringing bird sacrifices after they had, had given birth. So after the period of, of impurity um, had passed, they would bring uh, after the uh, either um, 40 days after a, uh, uh, after a boy or it would be uh, for the uh, 80 days after a girl, because it was either um, seven days of impurity, 33 days of what's called Yemetor, or you would have 14 days of impurity and 66 days of Yemetor. Either way, after that period, they would bring sacrifices. And they were just birds, so that didn't interest the Bnei Eli so much. They wanted the meat. So they would make those ladies wait online very late. And sometimes they would wait so late that they would have to sleep over at the Mishkan to wait to be on the front of the line the next day. And because they wanted the people with the tastier korbanot to go first. And that interrupted the marital life of those women because they couldn't go back to their husbands. And because of that, they're accused as if they had affairs with those women because they interfered in the marital intimacy of those women <coughs> by preventing them from going home. That's the idea uh, that the Chazal say. But either way, there's an interesting thing here that later, well, uh, and uh, the question is, did they really, it, what should we take? Should we take the simple meaning that they actually did have affairs or should we take what the rabbis say? Let's hold that on the side for a second. So Eli said, why are you doing these things? I'm hearing from all the people the bad things you're doing. Don't do it, my sons. The, rep, the, the rumor I'm hearing is not good, that the people of God are spreading rumors about you, or saying things about you, that are not good. If a person sins against somebody else, he can go to court and be judged by the judges. But if you sin against God, who's going to intervene for you? They didn't listen to their father because Hashem wanted them to be, to be killed, to be destroyed. In other words, at a certain point we know Hashem takes away a person's free choice if they've abused it again and again and again and they've resisted rebuke and they've resisted teshuvah, they haven't repented. Hashem can withhold their ability to do teshuvah in order to bring about their ultimate demise. And that's what happens here to Bnei Eli. But what's interesting to note is that never in the ensuing text does it say that the Bnei Eli actually sinned with women. In fact, it says that Hashem was uh, against them, was displeased with them because they were 
desecrating, as we're going to see when the Navi comes later to speak to them, a prophet comes later to speak to them, that they were desecrating the sacrifices of God. It never says that they were engaged in adultery or anything like that. So one interpretation I heard, I think it was from Rabbi Etz Shalom, who has a wonderful series on Shmuel, but I listened to it many years ago. I believe it was from him that he mentioned that somebody pointed out to him that if you look at the text carefully, you'll notice it never actually says that they slept with women. It says that Eli heard what his sons were doing and he heard that they were lying with women. In other words, it was a rumor going around. It wasn't necessarily true. It was a rumor. It could have been true, could have not been true. So you could take it that it, there was a basis to it or you could take like the Chazal say that it was an exaggeration because of what they were doing that was not good. In any case, Look at the contrast. Again, the Navi keeps weaving together the contrast. As the Bnei Eli were not finding favor in the eyes of God, and God was against them, and the people hated them, and were trying to and, and were disparaging them and criticizing them and railing against them. Meantime, Shmuel is becoming greater and greater in the eyes of God as well as the eyes of people. You can see what direction we're going in here. Vayavo ish Elohim el Eli. One day, a man of God comes to Eli. Interestingly, the Midrash says. This man of God is none other than Elkanah, the father of Shmuel, who might have been delivering this message. We can try to reflect on why the rabbis would want Elkanah to be the person to deliver this message. We'll see. But in the meantime, He said, did I appear? Meaning that, uh, did I not? He's saying it in a, it's a, uh, what we call a rhetorical question. Did I not appear to the house of your father while they were still in Egypt? He's talking about to Aharon, because these are Kohanim or descendants of Aharon. And I chose from all of the, uh, 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 of the tribes of Israel, I chose Aharon as a Kohen. To offer sacrifices on the altar and to bring the incense and to carry the ephod, which is to carry basically the big day kuna, the clothing of the Kohen in front of me. And I gave to your father's house all of the burnt offerings of Israel. The benefits of them go to the Kohanim to support the Kohanim. Why are you rejecting or mistreating, dishonoring? Literally means kicking. Why are you kicking my sacrifice and my and my offering, that I or I commanded to be brought in the Beta Mikdash. He's even criticizing Eli. He's saying, You're honoring your sons more than me. He's saying to uh, because you want to enjoy the first of all of the offerings of Israel that are uh, you know, even at the expense, in other words, in the before the eyes of my people, you are enjoying yourself at everyone's expense. The idea is that Eli himself didn't give a very strong critique. If he says, please don't, my sons, you know, what are you going to do? God is upset with you and the people are saying bad things about you. But he didn't put a stop to it, right? He allowed it to go on. And the meaning that even he... Uh, it was benefiting from the way that they were running things. He took a kind of a hands-off approach. He didn't do it himself, but he wasn't really, uh, he wasn't really taking an active uh, stance trying to prevent the corruption from continuing. 
So the idea is that uh, he, he, the Navi even includes him, Lavriachim, that you yourself are enjoying the first of all of the offerings. In other words, you're putting yourself before God. You're putting your sons before God. You're putting yourself before God. And that's, that's the opposite of what a Kohen is supposed to do. A Kohen is there to serve God and to show that God is the highest and the ultimate. And even supposed to put aside his own interest, his own personal life, his own marital life, and say the choice of uh, marriage uh, that he has. He has to put aside the ability to go to funerals. He has to dedicate himself to God uh, above all else. And instead, the Kohenim are doing the opposite. And you yourself, Eli, are really implicated in it because you're allowing it to happen. You're allowing yourself to take the best of these offerings uh, in front of everybody. Either it means le'ami, meaning that uh, you've shown it to my people that you are putting yourself above God, or it means you're taking the lamed is extra, and just means minchat yisel ami, meaning you're taking of the offering of my people. Lachet, neum Hashem elo Yisrael, so says Hashem, the God of Israel. I initially said that you and your father's house would walk before me forever. But now I say, God forbid, so to speak. I mean, Hashem doesn't say God forbid, but it would be a desecration to me. I will honor those who honor me. And those who, dis, who uh, dishonor me, they will be dishonored. Okay, because now Rashi says, Very interesting. Very important idea Rashi alludes to here. That oftentimes when the Navi, and even in Tehillim, if you look carefully, when Tehillim talks about the wicked suffering, it's often mentioned in the passive. In other words, Hashem does good for those who are good, and He allows the wicked to destroy and undo themselves. And that's what it means, Kisha Estalek, man, when I remove myself from them, they will be dishonored and they will fall. I will cut your arm and the arm of your father's house, meaning your strength, I will cut it down. There will be no more elders in your house. You will see an opponent. In other words, you will see a comp- competition in the Beit HaMikdash. You will see as things get better and better for the Jewish people, that it will not be to your advantage. You will not be able to benefit from it anymore. You will be in a, either it means you will be in a position of, uh, of limitation, of tsar, uh, uh, where you are limited in the Beit HaMikdash as everything is going well for everyone else, or it means that you will see a competition there, a competitor, and there will be no more elders in your house. He says, I'm not going to cut off your family totally. They will still be around. So they will learn their lesson from what happened. They won't be totally wiped out, but they won't live to be old. They will, they will die young. Here is the sign that what's, of what's going to happen, of what's destined to happen in the future. That, uh, that your family is going to become secondary in the Beit HaMikdash. They're going to lose their primacy, even as things get better for the Jewish people. Your two sons, Chofti and Pinchas, will die on the same day. I'm going to establish for myself a trustworthy Kohen, who will do what is according to my heart and my will. And he will build for me a true house, a devoted house. And he will walk before my anointed one all of the days. Meaning to say, that's also an allusion, that's also a hint to the fact that there will be an anointed one, that there will be in the future a king of Israel before whom these Kohanim will also, uh, uh, will also uh, serve. 
And your, the people from your house will have to come and beg. They will have to bow down and beg. The Torah set it up that the Kohanim have certain advantages, but they have to serve to get those advantages. And so your, your descendants will be begging the, the Kohanim who are in charge, let us join one of the groups of Kohanim that's serving so we can get some of the benefits of the Kehunah, some bread, some, a little bit of money from the gifts that are given to the Kohanim. So they're going to be struggling, destitute, because the Hashem decreed that the Levim and Kohanim don't have their own land. They, they subsist off of the gifts that are given to them by Bnei Israel, And that, of course, is going to depend upon them actually doing the job that they're supposed to do. And so if they're not doing that job, they're going to have to beg to be a part of it in order to be able to benefit from it. So the point was that since they disgraced, discredited, distorted, hijacked the whole system of the Beit HaMikdash for their own enrichment and aggrandizement, it's going to be the opposite. They're going to be excluded from it and they're going to be begging to be able to have some of that benefit just in order to survive. But you see from here that there is a contrast between the ascendance, the rise, uh, the ascent of Shemuel to higher and higher levels in the service of God and the descent the lowering of the B'nai Eli, and finally a Navi comes to inform Eli what's going to happen, which is that his two sons are going to die on the very same day. That's going to be a sign of the impending doom for the whole house of Eli, that they're going to lose their grip on the Beit HaMikdash. They're going to become at the bottom of the barrel. They're going to have a curse that they won't live to old age, and they're going to have a curse that they're going to be destitute. And these, in other words, the opposite of what you want when you want to build strength and you want to establish yourself, is you need longevity, you need health, you need wealth. They're going to, and that's what they were trying to build. They were trying to build an empire for themselves at the expense of the Beit HaMikdash. Instead, they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel. They're going to be around to see it, so maybe they will learn from it. And as we're going to see, there is a hint later on in the Navi that they have an opportunity, they even have a possibility of doing Teshuvah for this Chet. And maybe, ben, and maybe even for this decree to be uh, lifted, but uh, so it's not 100% set in stone if they really change themselves, but being where, where it stands right now, it's midah keneged midah, it's measure for measure that they get this punishment because of the way in which they acted. Now, why would uh, Hashem send Elkanah, the father of Shemuel, according to the Midrash, he is the one who brings the message. And as we're going to see, Shemuel himself later gets the same message and has to convey it uh, to Eli. In different words, basically the same message. The idea is, of course, Elkanah and his wife are really the parents who of Shmuel. In other words, they are the parents who are, have brought up a child or who have, who have uh, been instrumental in the bringing up of a child in the proper way, in the proper path, uh, who is going to serve God truthfully and honestly and wholeheartedly and put their own honor and their own interest aside for the sake of the Jewish people, for the sake of the honor of Hashem. That's why they gave up Shmuel to the Beit HaMikdash. Whereas you have Eli, who in his weakness, in his desire to save face, in his desire to keep good relations with his kids and not alienate them, not hurt their feelings too much, and maybe secretly because he enjoyed a little bit, benefiting from their corrupt activities, he didn't want to say anything. He put himself and he put his children's honor ahead of the honor of God, as opposed to what Chana and Elkanah did, which was putting the honor of God and the benefit of the Jewish people, spiritual benefit of the Jewish people before their own. And therefore, Elkanah has now been elevated even to the level of a Navi, to the level of a prophet who is able to deliver this message to the father who is the, his opposite in a way, who is the, uh, you know, who is the, uh, who represents everything that he isn't. Um, they're sort of, uh, 
contrast with one another. He's the one who comes to deliver the message to Eli prior to uh, the, the start of the downfall of the house of Eli. So Bezat Hashem, tomorrow, same time, same place on Zoom, we will continue with chapter 3, the exciting first prophecy of Shmuel. Really fascinating chapter for many reasons. Uh, both in terms of what it shows us about the unfolding story, but also what it shows us about prophecy and how prophecy develops and how a prophet experiences prophecy. Really amazing chapter. Please join us for that tomorrow.